Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's an old story uh, told about a country church that was full one Sunday morning. The choir was singing, the preacher was preaching, and the people were all shouting, Amen, preach it, hallelujah, jumping up and down. Uh, when the devil happened to be walking by, and he heard the noise, and he thought, you know, I'm going to have a little fun with these folks, and I'm going to give them a good scare. So he walked into the back door wearing his red suit with his horns and his pitchfork and, and his tail, and he shouted, Boo! And when the people turned to see who it was, it scared them out of their wits, and they all took off running. All except for the preacher and one little gray-haired old lady. Well, the devil tried to scare them again by waving his pitchfork at them and saying, Boo! Boo! But they just stayed right where they were. Bonnie said to the preacher, Well, I understand why you're not afraid of me, being a man of the cloth. And he turned to the little old lady and said, But why aren't you afraid of me? The lady said, Well, you ought to know, buddy. I've been married to your twin brother for 35 years, and he don't scare me either. (laughs) Well, that story is not in the Bible, by the way, and it didn't really happen. But it is indirectly about the topic I want to share with you today, and it has to do with spiritual warfare. In other words, dealing with the devil. Specifically, how we deal with temptation. Learning to speak up, if you will. Now, we are in the fourth week of Start Here. It's about hitting the reset button in your life, starting over from scratch, something we need to do at one time or another. Now, any time that you ever give yourself, though, over to a brand new beginning, trying to do things right, perhaps, for the second or third or fourth time around, you're going to soon find out that there is going to be some sort of a force that is against you, a force that tries to wreak havoc in your life to kind of lure you back into your old destructive ways to knock you down and and to keep you down as long as possible. Now, what I'm talking about is our common enemy, and that is the devil. Most of you are very familiar with 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for some juicy Lutherans to devour. Well, that's not quite the way it says, but you see the general idea. uh, He is non-denominational. He is cross-denominational. He's looking for someone to devour. Now, Jesus referred to the devil as a thief. His exact words you see there in John 10.10, the thief, that Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's his job, and he loves it. That's what the devil does, and everywhere he can, as often as he can. He'll go around, he doesn't go around the world wearing that red suit that we always picture him in, carrying a pitchfork, but he is real, and the war we wage against him is also real. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I mentioned this in Bible class this morning. I'll say it again. I I have preached enough sermons in my life 
for people to know that I don't talk about the devil all the time, and I don't think that devils are behind every bush or behind under every rock. But it's also true that if you and I are going to make it in the Christian walk, we need to know how to stand up against the enemy and win the battle over temptation. Now, there's an amazing Bible verse um, that many people have a hard time kind of wrapping their brains around. They have a hard time believing it. But this verse is just as true as John 3.16. And you see it up there on the screen. It's Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, most Christ followers easily accept the last part of this verse, that Jesus was without sin. But what about that little phrase that goes right ahead of it, the one that says, tempted in every way, just as we are? Now, there are a lot of people who wonder about that. Could that really be true, that Jesus was tempted in every last single way that you and I are tempted? Now, I've had people tell me, that can't, that can't be true. And I go, why? Look, come on, Pastor, you don't know my temptations. You don't know how angry I can actually get or how bitter or how petty or vindictive. or You don't understand how vulgar or selfish I'm tempted to be. You don't know the thoughts that run through my mind when my mouth doesn't even open. And I've just had a look at people who said that to me. And I said, well, you're right. <laughs> I don't know. But I do know something, and that's that what the Bible says is true. Jesus was tempted just as you are, just as you always will be. And because of that, because of that, I know that when I face temptation, I know that when you face temptation, you're not alone. Jesus has been there, done that. The difference is, guess what? He won every time. He won the battle every time. And because he did, the victory can be ours as well. Now, in the Gospel of Luke that I read to you this morning already, it summarizes the temptations Jesus faced in the early days of his ministry when he was alone in the desert for 40 days. It teaches us something about the nature of temptation and the key to victory. Now, I already read this. We're going to take a little time to kind of unpack this story. And I'm going to begin with what I call the nature of temptation. And there are four truths about this I want you to see. And the first is this, that temptation, temptation is often most powerful when you're right in the center of God's will. Let me take you back to the opening verses of chapter 4. It says, Jesus, what, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was what, led by who? The Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now, Luke makes a point. To say something basically the same two times. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit when he entered into his season of temptation. Now, we often make the mistake of thinking that if we're walking close to Jesus, life will always still be still waters and green pastures. Now, that's not really how it is. We also make the mistake of thinking that when we're right in the center of God's will, we can somehow do no wrong. 
because of that, many people let down their guard and get blindsided by temptation. They're just not prepared to deal with it. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful so that you don't fall. See, when you're right in the center of God's will, when you think everything is right, when you are poised to do something great with your life, you become the devil's target. I always remember Luther, something, I'm going to paraphrase what he said. Uh, you've all heard that we are tempted by the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. Uh, Luther said something like this, uh, you know, I can, I can pretty much handle my own sinful flesh. He said, but if I could actually get, a, hold my, get my sinful flesh into sub, sub, subdue it, then I'd have to worry about the world. And if I could somehow get that, he says, if I can get the world and my own sinful flesh subdued, the next thing I will hear is devil calling. Because you always got him there. When you've got something good going on, the devil wants nothing more than to take that away from you. It's the very nature of spiritual warfare. It's the very nature of temptation. Now, second, we need to understand is that temptation often strikes at your most vulnerable point. Now, Jesus had fasted 40 days, and Luke says something that, oh, I think as a kid, when I first read this story, maybe the first time you ever heard this story, it says, Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and he was, what? Hungry. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, some of you, you're almost dying of hunger between breakfast and lunch. Uh, you know, Satan says, Jesus, are you hungry? Why don't you make some bread? These rocks have to look like really nice loaves. You can do it. Now, everybody here, from the oldest to the youngest of us, has areas of weakness. We have areas of vulnerability. We need to guard against them. For example, you might be inclined, let me give you this, maybe you blow up at people when you get really tired. You ever do that, get kind of tired and cranky, and then you just dump it all over everybody? But if that's the case, then maybe you should, maybe you should avoid being around people when you're tired. And if you have to be around people when you're tired, maybe you ought to put yourself on a short leash and watch closely everything you say. As my grandma used to say, Makati Muntzu, <laughs> shut your mouth. So here's what I'm saying. If you want to win a battle over temptation, you will need to be aware of your vulnerabilities. Where are you weakest? And you need to be prepared to guard against them. Here's the third thing. Temptation often comes as a distortion of the truth. Have you ever thought about the fact that when Satan was tempting Jesus, that he was quoting scripture at him? Other than that, that's kind of interesting. He's quoting the Bible. The Bible knows, the devil knows the Bible better than you and me. That's for sure. And he is more than willing to use it, to twist it any way that he possibly can. Verses 9 through 11. The devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Go back to Genesis. If, did God say, that's what the devil said to Adam and Eve. He said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, then he quotes scripture, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now, friends, the Bible is true, every word of it. 
But Satan was twisting God's word in an attempt to manipulate Jesus into being disobedient. That's the very nature of temptation. It whispers in your ear just enough of the truth to distort your thinking and convince us to know what we know deep down isn't right. Now, it's amazing our capacity to justify our behavior with religious words. Let me give you an example. Happened a long time ago. Man came in to see me and says, Pastor, I just want to check a few things. Does God want me to be happy? And I looked at him and I said, What do you think? He said, Well, wouldn't God really want to give me the desires of my heart? And I said, Well, I don't know. Where are you going with this? He says, Well, I can never be happy in my marriage, so he must want me to get out of it. I mean, God wants me to be happy even if it hurts other people. Now, that was a distortion of the truth terribly. Now, first of all, the question, does God want me to have, be happy? Uh, the answer is kind of yes and no. I mean, that's not God's total desire that you be happy. What God's desire is that you come to the knowledge of the truth, that you become one of his followers. But let's, let's, let's understand that in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, happy are those. But see, with every promise, there comes a premise. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, what? Stay with the wife. If I would paraphrase scripture to it. Does God want to give me the desires of my heart? Yeah, the Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart. What? When you have been obedient. It follows obedience. Now, I don't know whether you keep up with these things. I do. But right now... There is a huge megachurch in the northwest part of the United States, located in kind of the Seattle area, that is basically imploding. The pastor has been dismissed. The churches are, and he's got a bunch of satellite churches just falling apart. And the basic reason is because for years, the leadership of this church has twisted and distorted scripture to justify all sorts of abusive behavior and financial irresponsibility within this giant organization. And guess what? They had a verse to back up everything they did. Why? It's because the enemy deceived them into doing it. Little bits of scripture out of context. See, Satan is most pleased when he persuades us to engage in ungodly Behavior while justifying it with religious terminology. Now, if you want to be successful in your Christian walk, never allow yourself to take refuge in self-justification. You need to hold yourself to the standard of truth. And as far as I know in the Bible, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, quotes Jesus. Not Dr. Cole. Jesus. Here's number four. Temptation is never gone for good. <sighs> Thank goodness I resisted that one. I don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> good luck, Jack. Luke tells us in verse 13, when the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. That's kind of scary when you think about it. See, we are in a battle right now that will not end this side of eternity. You'll never arrive at a place where temptation has no pull on you. In the book of James, it says, resist the devil 
and he will flee from you. But the fact is, he only flees for a little while. He's always looking for the next time to come back and mess you over. Because that's what he does. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That means we always need to keep up our guard. And, you know, if you're going to win a war, you really need to understand something about warfare. You know, just like a thief targets a nice house in a nice neighborhood, when you're at the center of God's will and on the receiving end of his blessings, the enemy will target you. So keep your guard up. He's going to hit you where you're vulnerable. So keep your guard up. He'll twist the truth to trick you into justifying sinful behavior. So you keep your guard up. And if he doesn't win this round, he'll be back for another one. So keep your guard up. Now, I want us to take a look, though, at how Jesus did this. It's one thing for me to tell you, keep your guard up. This is kind of the so what part of the message. How can you do it? How can you do it? We need to take a look at Jesus' response here as he faced these in the wilderness. His response to hearing Scripture quoted at him in a twisted fashion was what? To quote Scripture back at the devil. And the three verses answer three questions that you and I need to ask ourselves in the face of any temptation. The first question is this. What do I really need? What do I really need? When Jesus had become hungry after 40 days of fasting, Satan tempted him to turn the desert stones into bread. Jesus' response was, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, he said, it is written in Deuteronomy 8.23, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So what Jesus is saying is there are more important things in this life than being hungry. There are more important things in this life than having a full stomach. There are things more important than financial security. There are things more important than comfort. And I'll dare say that it might surprise you. There are more important things in this life than you be happy all the time. Now, we often think that we need these things. But what we really need is the presence of God to come alive in our lives. We need more of God, more than we need anything else. So Jesus' statement here challenges us to ask this question in the face of temptation. What do I really need here? I mean, do I really need this momentary pleasure or this temporary comfort? Do I really need to win this argument to prove that I'm right and so I can humiliate this other person just to indulge my own selfishness? Do I really need this or do I need more of God? See, if you stand up to temptation, look it straight in the eyes, speak it loud and clear. I don't need this. I need more of God. Can you imagine how empowering that would be in your life? I mean, when you're struggling with temptation, ask yourself, what do you really need? And I think if you pause long enough, you're going to think to yourself, what I really need is more of God. There's a second question, that is, what do I really want? Luke tells us in verses 5 to 8, took him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor, of course, as if he could do that. 
For it has been given to me, as if he had that happen too, and I can give it to anybody I want to, as if he could do that. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus looked at him and said, it is written, worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. See, his response leads to ask the question, what do I really want? And the key word here is want. Worship and service is an act of the will. You get to decide what you ultimately want in life. Do you want the world to glorify you? Or do you want your life to glorify others? You decide. What do you really want? Now, of course, there's really only one good answer to the question. I want God. I want to worship him only. I want to serve him only. Now, guess what? Satan's always got a shortcut to glory. He would say, you can have everything your father has already promised you without having to go to the cross, without having to pay that horrible price. All you have to do is turn your back on him and worship me. And Jesus said, I don't want the world. (laughs) Not like that, I don't want the world. And I certainly don't want any part of you. I want God and only God. Now, friends, opportunities will come along and begin to play on your emotions in life. Tempting you to compromise, uh, enticing you to abandon your principles, uh, to take shortcuts. Now, when this happens, imagine how empowering it will be to look at that temptation squarely in the eye and speak loud and clear. I don't want you. I want God. And I only want God. Now, here's the third question. What do I really believe? What do I really believe? See, the next thing Satan tries to do is persuade Jesus to jump off the highest point of the temple in order to prove to the world and to himself <coughs> that he is God's chosen Messiah. Now, ultimately, what Satan was trying to do is to get Jesus to doubt God's plan for his life. His approach was this. If you are who you say you are, and if God is who you say he is, prove it. And and make God prove it, by the way. Either you can trust God or you can't, so jump. Now, like his first two responses, Jesus' third response also comes from the book of Deuteronomy. He said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Satan wanted to plant this seed of doubt in Jesus' mind. By doing so, maybe Jesus would do something foolish. And Satan would love to do the very same thing with you, to cause you to doubt what God said. I can't even begin to tell you how many times over the years I've had people call me or write me or something and say, I just wonder, did God really say this? What I always want to say is, would you mind picking up your Bible and reading it? (laughs) Yes, it does. Oh, really? Where does it say it? Well, it's in the Encyclopedia Britannica under G. Well, for heaven's sake, it's in the Bible. You can, you can find it in the book of Hebrews. You can find the book of Jude. You can find the book of John. That's where it is. But does he really say? He wants to plant these little seeds to wonder whether God really said this or to trick you into making some foolish move that wisdom would normally advise you not to take. Now, this has always been Satan's strategy all the way back to the beginning of time, Garden of Eden, when he said, did God really say 
that you must not eat from any tree. Surely you're not going to die. I mean, God's just trying to prevent you from experiencing all the life has offered. So just go ahead. Take a bite. You know, he says that to all of you each and every day. Go ahead. Take a bite. You only go around once in life. Grab all the gusto you can take. Go ahead and jump. You don't really believe everything God says, do you? I mean, nobody could be that dumb. God didn't really mean what he said. I mean, God was just trying to keep you away from a whole lot of trouble. You know, a little trouble is not going to hurt anything. And, you know, besides, you know, if God is who he says he is, he's, he's going to take care of you. I mean, you don't want to miss out on all the fun. <clears throat> Go ahead. Take a bite. Now, at that moment, we have to ask ourselves, what do I really believe here? Do I believe God enough to say no to whatever opportunity pops up in front? Do I believe that God's plan for my life is better than my plan or the plan that other people are trying to tell me is a plan? Do I believe that God's standard of holiness is better than the temporary satisfaction that I will get by yielding to this temptation. See, in the moment of that temptation, this is the question we must ask and answer. And if you look temptation again in the eye and you say, even when God is silent, even when I don't hear God's answer to any prayers, I trust him more than I trust whatever momentary pleasure you or this world have to offer. Again, can you imagine how empowering... That could be. I mean, spiritual warfare is real. I'll be honest with you, I doubted it for a long time. I grew up in a little town in Nebraska and never once saw a demon-possessed person in my life. At least not that I knew of. Going back today, there probably were a few. Also, to be honest, the first time I ever really experienced anything that had to do with demon possession or demon warfare or spiritual warfare on the scale that we never even think exists was when I was on the mission field and have seen it often. But each and every time I've seen the power of God to conquer it. Temptation is real. There's no doubt about it. Temptation is also inevitable. Sometime before the end of the day, you're going to be tempted to do something. You're going to be tempted to say something you shouldn't say, do something you shouldn't do, whatever. See, we face an enemy who, as Jesus said, came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he's been doing. But you know what Jesus has come to do? John 10.10. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. See, spiritual warfare, real, inevitable, but we don't have to live in fear and dread of what the devil may do. Why? It's because we have a high priest, that's Jesus, who understands our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, and through his victory over sin, we can experience victory over sin. Through him, we experience life to the full. So when temptation gets up in your face, it's time to answer, ask those three questions. What do I really need? What do I really want? What do I really believe? 
My guess is that most of us here today would want to give the same response that Jesus gave. I need God and only God. I want only God and only God. I trust God and only God. I believe if you learn to speak those words in the face of temptation, you will experience victory, even as Jesus, who empowers you by the presence of the Spirit, did. May God bless us as we stand up and speak up. Amen.